Well, I hope it's all right if I just let you know that while you look good on Zoom, you all look much better in person. It's good to see all of you. And we had the pleasure, so we had the pleasure of a few of us going over to the Salises today and were able to worship uh, there with the Salises and Crawfords. And um, it's been a good day. It's been a good day. I turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and after you do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer, all right? Father, would you in these moments speak to our hearts and use the room you create by driving the doubt of dark away to plant and cultivate a new affection for Jesus. Give us a greater joy that is both deep and lasting. It's my desire, Father, to preach tonight, but I admit that I am weak and needy. I need your support and comfort and strength and holiness that I might be a pure channel of your grace. Would you help me to not treat excellent matter in a defective way or bear a broken testimony to so worthy a Savior and Redeemer? And I pray these things for His sake and for the sake of His church. Amen and amen. Now, several of you are going to potentially remember this. Uh, Maybe not, but uh, about four years ago, I shared with you in an introduction to another Christmas sermon that I had listened to a podcast from White Horse Inn around that time. And that podcast, the topic of that podcast was the theology of Christmas movies. And in that conversation that the panel was having, uh, they were answering the question, what is Christmas all about? Or to put it another way, what is the spirit of Christmas? And for many, uh, many of us, we watch these movies, or maybe you don't, I do, we do. We watch these movies year after year, After year, we watch the same ones, and we watch them year after year because, truth be told, they leave us kind of warm inside, and primarily because they all tie up nice and neat at the end with a bow. Everything works out in the end, but the question is, what do they communicate? And again, I I don't want to ruin these for you, but we need to ask the question, what do they communicate? What are they saying about Christmas. What is Christmas all about? Well, when you watch Charles Dixon, uh, Charles Dickens, uh, and his, or actually when you watch A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, or when you watch It's a Wonderful Life by Frank Capra, or even The Grinch Who Stole Christmas by Dr. Seuss, Christmas is all about surrounding ourselves with friends. It's all about our relationships. Uh, And if you're kind, you have a lot of relationships, and if you're not kind, then not so much. We see in these stories, we see Ebenezer Scrooge, he is financially wealthy. He has all the money he could want and still wants more, and he is just a horrible person, and he has no friends at all. We watch and see George Bailey. He's living from paycheck to paycheck. He's struggling to get by. He's frustrated at his old house. But yet his brother says he is the richest man in town because he's got friends everywhere. And then, of course, you've got the Grinch. 
who I personally like, but he's just grumpy and needs a hug. And in all these cases, the bottom line is, being alone is a mark of failure, and what you need is friends, and so you have to earn your friends, you have to merit your friends, you need to earn and and develop and, and pull alongside you, you've got to put forth the effort to make those friends, and then... You'll, you'll be good. I mean, even Clarence has to earn his wings. Now, according to Rankin and Bass, uh, in their cartoon, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Christmas is all about Santa. He's coming, and we anticipate his coming. He's made a list. He's checking it twice, and many of us have been both naughty and nice, but we're hoping, as is often the case, or really as is always the case, according to the story, is that our good always outweighs the bad, and we don't have to pout or cry. We're going to get what we want. And again, it's about what we do, how we have behaved, what have we done. And then in Miracle of 34th Street, um, Christmas is simply about believing. Just believe. And it doesn't matter what you believe. In the 1994 version, it actually says you can believe in the truth or a lie because it's better to believe a lie that brings a smile than the truth that brings a tear. So just believe whatever you want and you'll be good. And you could add Elf, uh, Elf or Home Alone or 932 Hallmark movies. And the same is the case. Right? It's, it's about being kind to others and love and life change and anti-consumerism and humanitarianism and tolerance and being surrounded by friends and family. And if you lack any of those things, just believe and that belief will work its magic. There's only one of these stories that gets it. Actually, there is one character who gets it. And you already know who it is, don't you? It's Linus from Charlie Brown. Charlie's struggling as usual, right? He's doing all that he can to get into the spirit, and yet he says, I'm depressed. And Lucy does what only Lucy can do. Right? And she charges him a nickel and then says, you just need involvement. Get involved, Charlie Brown. Direct the Christmas play. And basically, she just says what everybody else is saying. Just do something. Fix it yourself. You got a problem? It all depends upon you. But Linus comes along to save the day, not only for Charlie Brown, but for all the other kids there and for all of us watching. And the light goes up. And he walks out to the stage. And he quotes our text tonight. Brief, but clear. He reads from Luke 2 because he gets it. You see, Christmas is about good news of great joy. That's the announcement. And the shepherds needed good news. They needed joy. Now, there's debate about their reputations at this time. Some would say the reputations that they developed later, they didn't have at this point in time. 
And they believe that because of the numerous positive references to shepherds in the New Testament as well as Christ being our great shepherd. And they think that the shepherds were really just ordinary, average, working class folks trying to get by. But there are others, and actually the vast majority, believe that they had already developed those reputations, the the bad reputations that they had, and they were actually a very motley crew. Because they were always around animals and dead animals in particular, they were um, ceremonially unclean. And then you couldn't put it past them to actually take an animal that wasn't theirs and then lie about it. So they were thieves and liars. And they weren't just ordinary, average, working class guys. In the opinion of most, they were the low of the low. They were not a part of the in crowd. They were actually outsiders. They were overlooked and forgotten. And they had nothing to offer. And their life was a dead end. No matter which side of the argument you fall on, the bottom line is they, the angels appear to these shepherds because they weren't the spiritually or religiously or socially or politically elite. And they, in fact, were sinners in need of good news, in need of great joy. And what they heard was news that was for them. It was for them. Yes, it was. And the language says they're speaking about, the angels speak about the nation of Israel. The news was originally for the nation of Israel, but we know through the rest of the New Testament and even in the Old Testament that the news was for everyone, all of God's people, Jew and Gentile alike. But it was more than corporate, it was individual. The shepherds heard it was personal and for them. Probably the only good news they had heard in their lives. And what was the good news? Well, verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The good news was not that they had to go and do something. The good news was that something had been done for them. Something had been done for them. A baby had been born. The baby was Jesus. And the angel said, this baby, Jesus, was a Savior, Christ the Lord. Now, He was a Savior because He would save His people from His sins. Gabriel told Joseph as much, and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 1. So he's a savior. The angel here calls him the Christ because he was the anointed one. We've said this over the last few weeks. He was the anointed one. He was the long-awaited, much-anticipated Messiah. He was that warrior king that the people were longing for and looking forward to. And he was the one that was going to powerfully but tenderly reign over his people. He was going to deliver them. He was the one that was going to make God known. He was going to be the one to bring God near. He was going to be the one that made God approachable. And he would be the one that would live and die as a substitute on behalf of his people. And then the angel also calls him Lord. Because he wasn't 
just a man. He was God. He was the God-man. But he was God. He was deity. And, but the news doesn't stop there. In verse 14, that multitude joins in. It's not just one angel anymore. It's a multitude, hundreds upon hundreds. And, and, and they begin to sing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. Right? God alone was to be glorified. God alone was capable of providing the peace that these shepherds needed. God alone was able through this baby to bring peace with God and, and peace because of God and between them and others and even within themselves. And this, again, wasn't going to be offered because they were worthy of it. It wasn't going to be offered because there was something intrinsically good within them. It wasn't something that they were going to earn or deserve or merit. The Lord had chosen them based on His love and mercy and grace. It was Him, and, and, and according to His pleasure, according to His purpose, according to the kind intention of His will, He looked at them, looked upon them with favor, and they were the ones who would be at peace. Now, this news is so good that they immediately have to go and tell others. And not only do they immediately have to go and tell others, they need to go and see this sign that the angel had given them, right? You, you will go and find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. That wasn't a big deal. It was the fact that this baby was going to be in a trough. And so they wanted to go and see this for themselves. And notice they didn't go to see if this happened. They went to see the thing that had happened. They believed. They were unlike Zechariah. They were like Mary. And they believed the angel and they acted on that belief and they obeyed. And when they arrived, they found the baby just as the angel had said, wrapped in swallowing clothes, lying in a manger. And they're so astonished and they're so amazed and they can't keep it in anymore. They begin telling their story about what had just happened. And the Bible says to all of those who were there, and we, we want to know at this point who showed up, who else was there, we don't know. But he, they begin to tell all of those who were there what happened. And all of those who were there, they themselves are filled with that awe and their, that wonder and that astonishment. But Mary does something different, right? Mary herself is overwhelmed, but Mary, Mary's taking everything in. She's quietly holding on to everything by faith. She's, she's plumbing the depths. In, in the words of Philip Ryken, she's plumbing the depths of all that she has experienced. She's thinking about the angel, uh, her encounter with Gabriel. She's thinking about um, her trip to go see Mary. She's thinking about the story she heard of Zechariah's encounter with, with Gabriel and Mary, uh, Elizabeth and, and, and the baby within her and the baby leaping and John being born and now Jesus being born. She's thinking about the last 12 hours and now the shepherds have shown up and, and she's overwhelmed but just taking it all in and dwelling on it 
and holding them close to her heart and gripping them by faith. And that's exactly what I've been encouraging us to do over the last three weeks. That same thing. To read the story, to hear the story, to move beyond what we're used to, to move beyond that which that we remember most, and, and to consider. And, and the word there is actually, you know, to, we're talking about ruminating. So if you know anything about cows, you know, they, they chew and they swallow and they let it sit and then they bring it back up and they chew and swallow and do it again. And, and that's really what Mary's doing and what we're called to do. Getting beyond the norm, seeking to understand more fully this story that has become, in some cases, too familiar. And my prayer has been over that time that we would develop that expulsive power of a new affection and the joy within us would be more deep and longer lasting as we do so. But I want to focus our remaining time on the reaction of the shepherds. Didn't want to skate over her, but I I want us to look, look at verse 20. It says, the shepherds returned. Now, I stop there, and it, and it doesn't appear to be much, but I think it's very, very important. After hearing the announcement and seeing the sign and after sharing their, restore, their story, they go right back to where they were before. They go right back out into the field, right back out doing the same job, right back into the same old routines. Uh, They continued to either live their ordinary, average, working-class lives, or they continued to be the low of the low and the outcasts and were overlooked and forgotten. But now they had something to offer. Life was no longer a dead end. Circumstances were the same. Life hadn't changed. But they had news. They had an announcement. They had something now to offer themselves, and they had the peace, hope, and joy that emanated from the love of God, and it had been made manifest in this gift of a Savior, of a child, of a baby born for them. Their greatest need had been met, and look at how they respond. They glorified and praised God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This experience affected them to their very core, much like it had Mary. To the very center of her being, they were amazed and astonished at what had been done for them. To borrow words from one writer, he says, they were caught up wholly. Their thinking was convinced, their feelings captivated, and their will gladly surrendered. They not only heard the news, they received the news. Right? They, they received the news to themselves, and the natural response was both worship and proclamation. We all, we've, you've heard me say many times, good theology leads to doxology. And even in their limited knowledge and understanding of the incarnation and their limited knowledge of Christology and soteriology, they still were beside themselves wanting and desiring and needing to worship. And this pleased the Lord. 
And it pleased the Lord because our joy and our glory are inextricably linked. Listen to this quote by Jonathan Edwards. Walt showed me that uh, this this week. It says, God is glorified not only by his glories being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. His glory is then received with the whole soul, both by the understanding and by the heart. God made the whole world that he might communicate and the creature receive his glory. God desired to be glorified. God desired for his creation to receive it. And had the announcement been a call for them to do something, there's nothing to rejoice in. No reason to worship. Nothing to proclaim. But because it, it was an announcement that something had been done for them, they could do nothing else but worship. They couldn't contain themselves. Now, there are two thoughts as we close tonight. And the first is this. I want to share something that I've been mulling over. I, I mentioned to you last week or week before that Wendy and I are continuing to read through Tim Keller's book called Hidden Christmas. And I hear this from him. He says, if someone asks you, are you a Christian? You will say, of course I am. It's hard work, but I'm doing it. Why do you ask? Christianity is in this view something done by you. And so there's no astonishment about being a Christian. However, if Christianity is something done for you and to you and in you, then there is a constant note of surprise and wonder. So, if someone asks you if you are a Christian, you should not say, of course. There should be no of courseness about it. It would be more appropriate to say, yes, I am, and that is a miracle. Me, a Christian, who would have ever thought it, yet he did it, and I am his. Brothers and sisters, I pray that through the remainder of this season, as we come up on Friday, that like Mary, we would ponder anew the Incarnation. That we would dwell upon it and we would, we would ponder that a Savior, Christ the Lord, was born for us. And as we ponder that, I hope that we'll be reminded of at least four things. And the first is this, we need to remember that the drastic nature of a cure speaks directly to the severity of the problem. So if the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, what does that say about our sin problem? It's extremely severe. Secondly, I hope we'll remember that God had every right to leave us in our sin. He had every right to punish us for our sin, but God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He showed His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
I hope we'll also remember that if we could do anything, no matter how small, to save ourselves, if we could do anything to justify ourselves, God would not have taken on flesh for the purpose of dying. God took on flesh, lived on our behalf, died in our place because that was, in fact, the only way by which we might be saved. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And finally, I hope that we'll remember that this all means that any gift that we might receive, have received this past week or week before, that we might receive this week or receive on Friday, pales, into the, uh, pales in comparison to the gift that we've already received in Jesus. There is no other gift. Because God, and our God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's ours. That includes forgiveness, that includes redemption, that includes adoption, that includes our sanctification, that includes our glorification, just to name a few, and all of those things are by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That was all the first one. Second one is this, and you know this as well as I do, but people around us, all around us, family, Friends, coworkers, neighbors, strangers need good news today. We need good news today. The world needs joy. And they need some news that will allow them to jump up and down for joy in triumph in the midst of their circumstances. Because 2020 has been a year of bad news, and we still have two weeks to go. Will it ever end? But it's bad news after bad news after bad news. And, and the death and divorce and, and abuse and hatred and loneliness and anxiety and depression that are normal parts of a normal year have simply been amplified. They've been multiplied in this year of COVID and political upheaval and social upheaval and unrest. And you would think or hope that the holidays would bring some sort of respite. And it hasn't. And it hasn't because in, well, actually in most cases it's making it worse. Because as I just shared as we began, most of the answers are all placing the responsibility right back on the shoulders of man. It's all right back on the shoulders of men and women to be the solution, to get involved, to answer life's problems. Just go do something, right? Go fix it. Love one another. Be more tolerant. Make decisions, better decisions. Be more righteous. 
reject the materialism of the day, focus on others rather than yourself, and, and all of that sounds good, and really in and of itself, it's not bad. We need to be thinking about other people, and we need to get outside of ourselves, but that's not the good news. The good news is that Christ has been born, a Savior, right? that we all need. And He lived, and He died, and brothers and sisters, there's even better news, He has risen from the dead. For you. Our world needs to hear that. Just as much as we do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.